We'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking there in just a few brief moments. This week we finish up the series Hell. Over the last three weeks I've made the case, at least I've tried to make the case for the existence of hell. And also that everyone will not go to heaven when they die. It's not something that I honestly want to agree with myself. I'm just like you. I mean, I would much rather prefer that there not be a hell. I'd much rather have the thought in my mind that everyone will go to heaven. But then again, if I had that thought, I would also say that my job was pointless. Because why would we need pastors? Why would we really need churches if Jesus did everything on the cross and it was all said and done why the church why are we here today but unfortunately there is a hell and it's not a guarantee that all of us will be there In heaven, that is. Hell does exist and everybody does not go to heaven. So the question I want us to ask today is what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? Why do we need to have a message series? Why do we even need to to talk about hell? I mean, because let's face it, no one wants to talk about it. No one really wants to address it. It's easier to just think good thoughts, think happy thoughts. If you want to do that, just go watch Joel Osteen on TV. You'll feel happy when you're done. That great smile you can't get past. Don't get me wrong. I think he has a lot of great things to say. But it's not all happy and chipper. Sometimes it's depressing and we don't want to talk about it. But from the very beginning of this series, I've had one question burning in the back of my mind. If we believe in hell, why don't we live like it exists? If we believe in hell, why don't we live like it? Because if the reality of hell is present, why would we not be terrified? Why would we not want to do everything in our power to not go there? To make sure that we are on the right path, the path that leads us to glory with God. To lead us, that leads us to the place where we're with Jesus in heaven. Why would we not want to do those things? Why isn't this something that we think about on a daily basis? But we don't. Because we want to think the best about everything. The problem with thinking the best about everything is that we forget reality. And reality is what we will have to face on Judgment Day. Not the best. 
but reality. Hell's not a weapon. Hell should not be used as a weapon to scare us into ultimately doing what God wants us to do. God wants us and longs for us to turn to him. But it's not something to simply scare us into doing what God wants us to do. It's simply a reality. So much to the degree that heaven is reality. We can't have one without the other. Because wouldn't heaven be all the time? If, if there was no bad, if there was no evil in the world, everything would be perfect. Everything would appear great. When in reality, it's not. We should not try to cope with hell. We should not just try to get used to the idea of, okay, it exists, so I'm just going to have to like it. I'm going to have to get used to this, and I'm just going to have to find ways to cope with the fact that maybe some of my loved ones, maybe some of my friends or neighbors, people I know could possibly be in hell, and I'm just going to have to face the consequences and, and figure this out. See, I think it's beyond just simply coping. I think it should compel us. You see, knowing that hell exists should compel us into action, should compel us into living differently in light of there being a hell. You see, because we can live one way with knowing that heaven is the only option. We're not going to change much in our lives, right? If we know that the end result, no matter how we live our life on earth, will be heaven, then it doesn't matter what we do right now. We can live however we want. But when we take into consideration the reality of hell, something needs to change. There should be something in our lives that says, no, that's not a good choice. I should be doing something different. It should compel us to seek what God wants for us in our lives. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 7. Let's, for me, one of the scariest passages in the Bible, but it's an important one. So let's look here at Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Jesus speaking. This is the end of his Sermon on the Mount message. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. A few things that jump out at me in reading this. The first one is that hell exists. That there is a place that is apart from God. Jesus clearly shows us. And how can I say that this is clearly that Jesus is telling us that there is a heaven and that there is a hell? Why would I make a statement like that? Well, if just in case you weren't with us the first week we started this message, I, I said that hell is literally the absence of God. And if God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere at the same time, hell is the absence of God. God is not present in hell. And we see here that Jesus is saying, away from me, you evildoers. The second thing, Caitlin, if you're following along, is that Jesus says, many will say, Many will say, the sad reality is that there will be many people that will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That there will be many people who will reject Jesus with their life and face eternity in hell. It's a sad thing to think about. It's not something we want to think about, but it's a reality if we reject Jesus in our lives on earth, he will reject us. Not because he is sending us to hell. We have chosen it for ourselves. With the way that we lived our lives here on earth. And here's the other thing that's scary to me. These people that Jesus is talking about were spiritual people. They were spiritual people. If you hear what it says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They thought that their lives were good. They thought they were doing the right things. But you see, the things that they focused on were the things of simply doing things. It was about fulfilling laws. It was about carrying out everyday tasks, trying to be the good person to get ourselves into heaven. But to those very people who were spiritual, they did spiritual things in their lives. Jesus will tell them, I never knew you. I never knew you. This is judgment day. This is the end. There are no second chances. This is the last peaceful breath that many will breathe before they spend the rest of their life in hell. 
Put yourself there for me. Put yourself there for a second with me. Fast forward your life to that very day, your last day, the last breath that you will take. Will you sound like the many who called out in desperation? Lord, Lord, did I not? Fill in the blank. Caitlin, go back. And fill in the blank. And fill in the blank. In your name. What would be those things that, you, that your life would put in those blanks? Maybe it's, I read the Bible. I went to church. I even loved my neighbor, who was a jerk, by the way. But I loved him. I went to Sunday school. I was involved in a small group. I poured my life into my family in your name. I was a good person. I told everyone I was a Christian. Don't get me wrong, those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But hear this, they're not the thing. They're not the most important thing. You see... Jesus says to these people, to these spiritual people, I never knew you. You see, all of the good things that we do in life, they mean nothing if we do not know Jesus. If we do not have a relationship with Jesus, the good is pointless. It's about the number one thing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from that relationship, we have one destiny. And it is hell. That is right. I wasn't misspeaking when I said that the love that you pour into your family is not as valuable as what you put into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you hear that, and you're thinking, no, that's not right. That's wrong. It's... Because, see, what a lot of times we're guilty of is we put our family, our loved ones, way before we will ever put God God, I don't have time to pray because by the time I get home from work, I've got to fix dinner. I've got to help the kids with homework. I've got to do all of these things. And by the time it's time to sit down, I'm just exhausted. I just want to relax and watch TV. And by the time I'm done doing that and the kids are ready to go to bed, it's, I'm exhausted. I just want to go to bed. And we've forgotten all about God. And we say, well, God, it was because of my family. Heaven forbid that our family should be our destruction. Am I saying loving our family is wrong? No. 
by all means, please love your family. But think about this. If you and I were created in the image of God, and if God is literally the creator of love, and that they're apart from God, we truly do not know what true love is. We may use the word, don't get me wrong, we will say, I love my family. But if we're really going to talk about the true context of what truly love means, we cannot have that true love apart from God, apart from our relationship with God and knowing and feeling what true love is. The love that we think we're pouring into our family may not truly be love at all. Because how can we love our families and be separated and not know what true love is if it's found only in God? Are you with me? We cannot say to our spouse, I love you, and not have a relationship with God who is the creator of love. We cannot say to our kids or our grandkids, I love you, but yet be separated from the God of love. We may say it, but is it reality? That's hard. That's hard to hear. That's hard to say. Trust me, I want you all to come back next week. Listen to this. John 10, 10. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. This this word for life, it's one of my favorite Greek words. It's called zoe. Life, that's translated zoe. Say zoe with me. Zoe. See, this is the most purest life there is. And it can only be found in God. You see, Zoe is the spiritual life of deliverance from the proper penalty of sin. You see, we all deserve one thing, and that's hell. Because we cannot pay for the sins that we have committed. There's no way that we can pay the penalty, the price. There's only one price, and that is hell, an existence, an eternity, living apart from God. But Jesus came so that we may have zoe and have it to the full. And actually, I don't like that word full at the end that the NIV uses because the term is actually a little um, broader, excuse me, a little broader than that. It's more than full. You see, God just doesn't want to fill your life. He wants you to have it overflowing. You see, he wants your life to literally, out of the love that he has for you, out of the love that you feel in that relationship with him, then it overflows into your love for your spouse. 
and to your love for your kids and your grandkids. Because see, now you're communicating true love. And it's only found in Zoe, in life. Jesus uses that in John 10.10. But if you remember last week, we looked at Matthew 25, verse 46, where Jesus says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal zoe. To eternal life. You see, we're not living yet. We're not truly living in the purest form of life that Jesus, that God desires for us to have if we're not living in the Zoe. It's his desire for us. Here's a spoil alert for you. For those of you who don't know the end of the story, let me help you out. I hate to like ruin the end of the book for you, but I'm going to. God wins. Those who live and breathe for God win. Satan loses. That's the best part of the whole story is that Satan loses. You don't have to continue to fight a fight that you will never win on your own because Jesus has already won that fight. He's already guaranteed an opportunity for you to be reconciled to God and have the fullest form of life there is if we simply acknowledge him. But you can choose to reject him if you want. You can choose to reject him. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Jesus says, if I can find it. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold... The keys of death and Hades, another word for hell. Jesus holds the keys in his hand to hell, which means he has the power. He conquered. He wins. He wins over Satan. So you can choose to be on the winning team or you can choose to be on the losing team. The choice is yours every single day of your life. Who will you choose? And let me promise you one thing. The whole winning and losing thing, it's not like upward sports where everyone wins. Good job, little Billy. You get a prize. No, you lose. You lost the game. You don't automatically win if you lose. You lost. There are winners and there are losers in the game of life. The choice is yours whether or not you will win or not. This is good news. That's the good news that Jesus Christ brings. That he's conquered death. 
for you. You just have to accept it. You just have to live a life that honors God. The existence of hell is not something to panic about. But Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to take away the sins of the world. However, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you have chosen to reject Jesus, then forget what I just said about not panicking. Start panicking, because you should be worried about your destiny, about where you will spend eternity. Start being compelled towards a different life. There should be rejoicing for those who know and have a relationship with Jesus. But there should also be this urgency in our lives to seek to grow closer to God. Every day we should not be simply satisfied where we are in our relationship with God. Because the next day could bring something totally different and yesterday will prepare us for today's tragedies and crisis in our life. And if our relationship is not solid, if it's not where it needs to be with Jesus Christ today, how will we respond to tragedy and crisis and turmoil and suffering and pain tomorrow? And the best part, the last page, Revelation 22. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. According to you reject me, you chose to live for me. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Life started with Jesus in the garden. Life ends with Jesus when we die. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Truth, Jesus Christ is God, is redeemer of life. Falsehood, I reject Jesus. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the, the bright morning star. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. Everything begins with Jesus. Everything ends with Jesus for those who accept him, for those who choose to follow him with their lives. And the beauty of it is, even when we follow Jesus, when we have said, Jesus, I want you in my life, and we've sought, and we've sought to be the follower of Christ, and, but the thing is, we're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall, and you're going to stumble. 
Does that mean, oh, great, now I'm going to hell? No, because that's the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. That's the whole point of grace. Jesus picks us up and says, that's what I died for. Get up and continue to follow me. Continue to seek me. Continue to grow in your relationship with me. See, there's a difference And when we fail, and when we say, Jesus, come into our life, and then we just act like life just goes on, like no changes need to happen, but we just, well, God, we prayed the prayer, but we kept on living like hell, but we wanted to go to heaven. See, there's a difference. How do you respond when you sin, when you fall, when you make mistakes? Ladies and gentlemen, that is why we have a church. So that when you fall, that when you make mistakes, when you're in pain and your response is to blame Jesus, to blame God for the pain that you have in your life, that the church comes alongside you and picks you up and says, Jesus loves you. We acknowledge that you're struggling, that you're failing. We don't want to, you know, put that aside and just forget like it didn't happen. We, wanna, we want you to build you up. We want you to learn from these mistakes. But we want you to know that Jesus still loves you. And we're going to help you. We're going to help you grow. That's what the church is about. You see, without the church, many of us would be going to hell. Because we think we're doing the right thing all the time, right? We never think we're wrong. We want to think the best about ourselves and forget about reality. But the church is to here to humble you, if you will. Anybody like to get humbled? I get humbled way too much by little kids. Um, especially my smarty pants little girls who unfortunately know way more than I do at times. But it's reality. What little kids are speaking into your life? And I'm not saying they have to be little, but I'm saying who is that little kid that can call you out and say, you're going the wrong way. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to live like that. Jesus died so that you could honor him. How are you going to do it? One of those ways is coming to a table like this. Coming to a place where Jesus says, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You might as well just get used to it now. It's going to happen. You're never going to be perfect. I'm the only person who is perfect. Jesus, not me. And so I invite you to come to this table and acknowledge that apart from me, you will never have Zoe. You will never have that overflowing, overabundant life. Without me, without sitting at the table with me, your destiny is hell.
But I invite you to a table to admit your weaknesses, to admit your failures, to admit your mistakes, and say, Jesus, I need your grace. I need your love. And I want to eat with you. That's family. It's family coming together at a table and admitting no one here is perfect. No one here has to be perfect. That's the beauty of it. You can make mistakes. It's okay. The minute a church becomes a place where you cannot be yourself and not make mistakes, it ceases to exist as the body of Christ. So we come to a table where it's okay to be you. What's not okay is when you come to this table and pretend like you're someone else. You bring your brokenness. You bring your pain. You bring your happiness. You bring your joy. You bring the love that is only found in God. And you meet with Jesus. So we come to a table, admitting that the only person at this table is Jesus Christ himself. That apart from him, we'll fail, we're weak, we'll experience pain. But that's the exact reason why we come to the table. To admit that apart from Jesus Christ, we're destined for hell. But thank God for Jesus Christ because we can have the chance for eternity in heaven with God. We celebrate the beautiful act of redemption. Because that's what took place at a table like this, an act of of redeeming your weaknesses the places where you fell short, Jesus says, good thing, I'm here, I caught you. I've got your back. Get back up and celebrate because you have been redeemed.